After receiving that voicemail last week, I spent about an hour trying unsuccessfully to reverse engineer the voice changing mod to get a better idea of who may have left it. But during my countless re-listens, one small statement stood out to me. Whoever left that message demanded that I eliminate all evidence that I've collected, including the photos I took on the night Lewis died. Of course, you, dear listener, remember those photos that I took from my car of the scene outside the cliff, right? Well, if you're scratching your head trying to remember what photos I could possibly be talking about, that's because I never once mentioned them on the show. In fact, there's only one person that I've ever mentioned them to. You see, on that night, I took a few pictures from where I was across the mountain notch in hopes that I might be able to pull some information from them later in the investigation but I later decided that they were all but worthless. Not only was it past dusk when I took those photos, but I was so far away that I wouldn't have been able to make out any significant details even in great lighting. After I interviewed Sheriff West, however, he asked me some questions about what I had seen that night as I was the only known witness. Having just about nothing else to share with him, I showed him those photos. He seemed interested in them only momentarily before insisting there was no valuable information there and that I could just get rid of them. And that's it. They seemed pretty useless to me, so after that I haven't shown or even mentioned them to anyone. If that person who left me the message knew about them, it can only mean because they were informed by the sheriff or because it was the sheriff himself. Either way, I finally have the evidence I need to prove his involvement. But what exactly could be in those photos that's important enough for him to have mentioned them specifically? Surely there isn't anything that can be made out about the scene at the cliff from such a distance. But as it turns out, the discovery to be made from them isn't what can be seen at the cliff, but what can be seen elsewhere in town. You see, from where I was, I had a pretty good view of not only the diner itself, but also what was below it, particularly at the library. At that time of night, the library had been closed for more than an hour, so surely the parking lot should have been completely empty. But it wasn't. It's difficult to notice in the low lighting, but upon closer inspection I can make out at least seven or eight cars sitting in the library parking lot. And why would they be there? Well, it's behind the library that the main entrance to the trails where Sapphire and I had found the sacrifice site is located. The sacrifice site that is directly underneath the parking lot of the Cliff Diner. When Lewis fell from that parking lot, there were people down there waiting for him. And that's the smoking gun. Definitive proof that someone here in town is orchestrating these disappearances. It was around 7am the morning after the release of our latest episode when I was woken up by a flurry of messages on every form of social media. Even as I groggily opened my eyes and reached for the phone, it continued to buzz and bling with notifications, all echoing a similar sentiment. Support for my investigation. Somehow, hundreds of people suddenly knew about my podcast and wanted to offer their help. I managed to trace it all back to the Unsolved Mysteries community on Reddit 
Uh, apparently someone had made a post about what Sapphire and I had discovered on the show, and it blew up. The episodes that were pulling in dozens of views per week had suddenly jumped to thousands in a matter of hours. Before I go any further, I'd like to say thank you to the people who've reached out with kind words. I've had an overwhelming amount of positive messages and offers to help with the show. I've also received a couple of messages from people sharing their stories about briefly visiting Dunridge on a White Mountain vacation and feeling a sinking sense that there was something off about the place as well. Among the many messages I've received regarding the podcast this week, there was one that really stuck out to me. If you've ever watched any of the docuseries on Discovery or History Channel about cryptids or paranormal discoveries, then you've no doubt heard Boris Ivanov speak. He's a cryptozoologist and paranormal historian who regularly appears on those types of programs to share his expertise on the subject. He's the type of person who knows just about everything there is to know about his chosen field. He lives and breathes the paranormal, and if there's something you'd like to know about any cryptid in known history, he's the person to look to for answers. Mr. Ivanov sent me an email claiming that he may be able to provide me with some insight into our situation here in Dunridge. I don't have a history of being the biggest believer in cryptids, but after some of the things I've seen here, I'm willing to give just about any explanation a fair chance. At his request, I sent him a couple of poorly lit pictures that Sapphire and I had took of the site we found in the woods, and he seemed to be thrilled by what he saw. We decided to share a video chat so that he could tell me exactly what he thought about our situation. Uh, Mr. Ivanov, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. Yes, it's certainly exciting to be part of a breaking story like this. <laughs> of course. Honestly, it's still a little surreal to me that this has gained so much traction. Uh, I mean, I've seen you speak on a number of documentaries, and you are first and foremost a cryptozoologist. So to have you reach out to me about the investigation leads me to believe that you think there could be some sort of cryptid lurking in Dunridge? Well, something like that, yes. Allow me to explain. Have you ever heard of a creature called a Malach? Never. Sounds sinister. <laughs> you might say so. Accounts of this creature have been found throughout history in a number of different places across the world, primarily Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe, although there have been some stories of them in places like Brazil and even in the UK, if you can believe it. It has gone by many different names in different places, most of which roughly translate to glutton or leech, which, as I'm sure you'll learn, is quite an apt description. The Malak is an extremely territorial creature. It is said that once it finds a home, it claims that place as its own and never leaves. It also has a profound effect on all living creatures within its domain. Uh, what, what sort of effect? Well, the Malik is said to feed upon the life force of everything within its domain, hence it being likened to a glutton or leech, and that has a severe impact such as reduced energy, apathy, or a general dulling of emotions. Okay, well, that checks out with what people have been telling me. So I've heard, and because of its voracious need to feed, the Malach is not only territorial about its home, but also about the people and animals that live there too. It is well documented that it will go well out of its way to keep them within its domain, choosing even to kill them rather than allow them to leave unimpeded. And what do you think this has to do with that sacrifice site that we found? 
Well, this is where it gets especially interesting. The symbols seen on that slab of stone are an ancient and mostly forgotten language used to attempt to tame or even summon beasts such as the Melech. To my knowledge, there is no one alive today that can tell you exactly what any of these specific symbols mean, but many of the shapes are undeniably the same that have been found in other locations where a Melech or similar cryptid is claimed to dwell. So what does all this mean then? I mean, do you think one of these things is living here in Dunridge? Well, it's difficult to say exactly. As an investigator, I assume you have the most knowledge of your exact situation and will therefore be able to put the pieces together far better than I. But what I can tell you with near certainty is that there are or have at one point in time been people in your town that believe that there is a Malek living there or who have attempted to summon a Malek there. It is also important that I state, the very existence of these creatures is quite heavily contested by modern knowledge. As a cryptozoologist, I can tell you that when we are studying cryptids, what we are really studying is human nature. Humans are a species that have a serious problem with not having all of life's answers. And many cryptid stories are simply the product of humans attempting to explain their surroundings and abnormal situations in a pre modern world. So then you yourself don't believe this creature actually exists? More that a group of people who believe in it are taking part in some sort of ritual on its behalf. That is the most likely scenario, yes. Though I must admit, I've seen a lot of things in my career that even I can't explain, and I'm hesitant to rule anything out entirely. And what about everyone saying that being here makes them feel weird or off? If this Malik probably isn't real, is there another explanation for that? That's not such an easy question to answer. It could be a number of things, I suppose. Some mountain towns can tend to feel a bit gloomy, can't they? Uh, Above average cloud cover, long winters, low oxygen levels. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Well... Is there anything else I should know about these creatures or about the types of rituals that are performed by people who believe in them? Yes, of course. There there is one very important thing to know, and it's the reason that I felt it was necessary to speak with you today. These groups that worship Amalek are extremely dangerous. As I'm sure you can tell, they are not opposed to resorting to human sacrifice in an attempt to get the attention of the creature. You've done important work tracking down this group, and I know you are proud of yourself for that, but choosing to pursue this investigation any longer would be extremely dangerous. I must strongly suggest that you get yourself as far away from that place as you can, especially now that it has gone so public. If it is important to you that you continue investigating this group, I'd urge you to do it from afar. Uh, yes. That's most likely the best advice anyone's given me lately. Thank you again for your time and for sharing your expertise with me. Oh, no problem. It has been my pleasure. And so that's that. There's a group of cryptid-obsessed cultists who think they can summon a monster by terrorizing the town. Mystery solved. Sort of. 
At least I can say for the first time that I feel like I've got some real idea of what's actually going on here. My conversation with Mr. Ivanov finally answered some questions in a concrete manner, though it still left me wondering why. How did all this start and why is it still happening? There just has to be more to it than this. He was, however, certainly right about one thing, and that's the amount of danger I must be in. I'd seen first-hand evidence that something, or more likely someone, had been killed out there in that forest, and I have no doubt that this group would go to great lengths to end my investigation by any means necessary. I called Sapphire afterward and shared with her what he had told me. She seemed bolstered by the new information and asked me to meet up with her in a few hours to discuss things further. I'm back! (laughs) Sapphire, welcome back to the show under quite different circumstances now, isn't it? Uh, which of the many ways are you referring to? Well, for one thing, people are actually listening this time. That's undeniable, yes. So you're here today to talk a little bit about what we've learned from Boris Ivanov. Yeah, that is one interesting dude, huh? Kind of wild that he was on the show. I mean, I've seen him on TV. It was nothing if not surreal. Oh, and also quite informative. Yeah, I've done a bit more digging on this Malik since we spoke. The more I think about it, the more sense it makes, really. And why is that? Well, it just lines up so perfectly with that little history lesson from last episode. Mr. Gardner said that this town was settled by a group of paranoid runaway prisoners who wanted to go to great lengths to prevent anyone from leaving, right? So what better way to do that than by inviting a life-sucking monster who drains people's emotions and kills anyone that might try to leave, right? Yeah, I suppose it adds up pretty well, but why would it still be going on today? I mean, they obviously aren't trying to keep the town from being discovered anymore, so what's the point of these rituals still happening? Well, what if this thing is real? The monster? I I don't know. I highly doubt that. Oh, right. I forgot that you, the one who started a whole podcast to investigate mysterious disappearances, are also somehow the world's biggest skeptic. Maybe it sounds ridiculous, but just think about it. He said that when this thing claims its home, it never leaves. So sure, a few hundred years ago, some paranoid runaways summoned this thing to solve their problem, but then it wouldn't leave. As far as that thing is concerned, this is its domain now, and it wants to feed on the people that are here. Maybe all these years later there are still people making sacrifices to it because it's the only way to keep it satisfied. Maybe it isn't a cult of people who worship this thing, but a group of people who are genuinely afraid that if they don't keep it happy, it will get out of control. Unless you have a better explanation for all this. Well, no, honestly, I don't, but... I don't think that means we should be jumping on the first explanation we can conjure as being the truth, especially when it's one that sounds like it's straight out of a horror movie. That's fair. Well, what we can agree on is that there's at least some sort of fucked up murder cult out here, sacrificing people to a monster that may or may not exist, right? Oh, and that also our sheriff, and probably every other town official, is involved. 
You know, when you say it out loud, it makes me realize just how screwed we are. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to stick around then? Or get out of town like that Ivanov guy suggested? Look, I started this investigation knowing that I might turn up some answers I wouldn't like, and I've got to see it through. What about you? I mean, why haven't you packed up and left yet? I don't know about you, but I have a pretty good life here. A lot of friends, a roller derby league, my entire family. I mean, yeah, maybe Dunridge sucks, but my whole life is here, and that's something I'm willing to fight for. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too. I just wish we had a better idea of how to actually tackle this whole situation. You know, I came across an interesting bit of information while I was researching the Malik. Yeah? Yeah. Apparently, it feeds on the night of a new moon. What do you mean? I thought it was always feeding on the energy of everything around it, or something like that. Right, but every new moon it needs to feed feed. Like, eat something. Something big, human-sized. I read that in places where these cults have been reported before, the night of the new moon is when they sacrifice people to feed it. And, apparently, if it isn't fed when the new moon passes, then it tries to lure people out to its den to feed on them. Not unlike the little boy you talked about in episode one. Oh, well, that is interesting. And you remember that night you saw Lewis accidentally fall from the cliff diner, which just happens to be right above their creepy ritual site? That was the last new moon. Huh. Yeah. And you want to know when the next new moon is? Well, it's been about a month, so it's got to be soon, right? It's tomorrow. Huh. So you think they're going to try to kill someone? No, I was more thinking they'd get together for a pizza party. <laughs> right. So what do you think we should do? Isn't it obvious? We do everything in our power to not be the ones they come after. I'd have to imagine we're pretty high on their list of people to kill. Yeah, good point. All right, then we do our best to lay low and buy ourselves a little more time to figure out how to actually bring them down. Here's hoping. <laughs>